Step into the hidden corridors of the past with Hometown History, where every episode uncovers the untold stories and secrets nestled in the streets and alleys of our own backyards. We bring history to life, revealing the extraordinary in the ordinary, from local legends to forgotten tales that shape the communities we know today. Tune into Hometown History and embark on a journey through time, right from where you are. I was at my friend's birthday, and some kids were doing it, and that's when I first found out about it. To call Bloody Mary? Um, first, you have to make sure that you're standing in front of the mirror with the lights off in the bathroom. Second, you have to make sure you have candles and turn on the sink and make sure it's running um, either fast or slowly. It doesn't matter. And then you have to spin around three times with your arms crossed saying Bloody Mary. And something will happen. And the things that could happen are sometimes Bloody Mary will appear. The toilet could start flushing. The, the sink could start, well, could stop. The shower could start or the mirror could shift. Have you ever heard of Bloody Mary? Have you ever tried to summon her with your friends or maybe even by yourself? People in the United States have been trading stories about Bloody Mary since the 1960s. So it's possible that your parents, your teachers, or even your great aunt could have tried to summon Bloody Mary when they were a kid. I remember one time when I was a kid, I was at a slumber party with my friends and they all wanted to do Bloody Mary, but I was too scared. So I sat outside the bathroom and was the designated guard so that if my friends didn't come out, I could run and get help. I was terrified. I was sure that something was going to happen, even without any proof. So where does that feeling come from? Why do generations of people keep going into the bathroom to try and call something that may scare us? My name is Elise Parisian, and we'll talk about all of this and more on this episode of Unspookable. Bloody Mary can be described as a myth, legend, or superstition. In other words, a story or practice that may have some grounding in historical fact, but is likely fiction, and may be used to try and explain some deep truths about what it means to be human. If you've ever heard the Greek story about Prometheus and how he stole fire from Hephaestus, the Greek god of fire, in order to give it to humans, or maybe your town has a special spot, like a creepy bridge or an old house where something magical or spooky happens. These stories are all in the world of myths, legends, or superstitions. Now, what about Bloody Mary specifically? Well, we said that a myth may have some historical fact to it. So does that mean that Bloody Mary was a real person? Not necessarily. But it does mean that the story we tell ourselves about her today could have been inspired by a real person. There are a few different theories as to where the idea of Bloody Mary came from. Some people say she's Mary Tudor the first Queen of England who lived from 1516 to 1558. Mary was the daughter of the famous King Henry VIII and his first wife, Catherine of Aragon. Around this time in England, the royal family was fighting over the official religion of England. Some wanted it to be Protestant and some Catholic. Mary's father even had changed religions in order to divorce Mary's mother. 
When Mary took the throne, she reinstated Catholicism and executed many Protestants, leading to the nickname Bloody Mary. Some people say she's Mary Worth, a woman who supposedly practiced witchcraft on her farm in Illinois around the 1860s, the same time of the American Civil War. She was eventually buried on the farmland, and when the new farmer and his wife tried to move the gravestone, terrible things started happening at their farm until it finally burned down. The wildest part of the Mary Worth story is that there was also an accused witch named Mary Worth who lived in Massachusetts in 1693, around the same time as the Salem Witch Trials. The Salem Witch Trials took place between 1692 and 1693, when the town of Salem and the surrounding areas became so panicked about the possibility of witches living among them that they arrested dozens of people for witchcraft. Twenty of them were found guilty and were executed. So it makes sense that the story of a witch haunting a mirror might relate back to this time in American history. There is even a version of the Bloody Mary ritual where you say, I believe in Mary Worth, into the mirror. But if you said that, who are you saying you believe in? Is it Mary of the 1690s or Mary of the 1860s? As soon as you start digging deeper into the origins of Mary, her identity keeps shifting. So what is the one thing that all these possible origin stories have in common? I'll be right back to tell you. I think she would have black hair covering her face. I think she would probably have short or long hair. I think she has a white dress with red blood stains and it's ripped up. She might be wearing pajamas, a dress, or she could just be wearing like, honestly, I don't know what she could be wearing. And she could be a boy or a girl, we don't know. Bloody Mary is just a name. There's one thing that stands out to me about all the stories of the potential Marys, and it may seem obvious, but I do think it's important. They're all women. And they're all women who were, in whatever place and time they lived in, made into outcasts or were labeled as bad or wrong. In Mary Tudor's time, the idea of a woman being queen without her husband, the king, being the real leader was upsetting to many people. They did not want there to be a ruling queen of England. Mary never had any children, and though she was legally married, she and her husband lived apart for most of their lives. Mary was smart and ambitious. She had ideas about laws, religion, and war. She wanted to be in charge. At a time when people thought that women should be married and having children, not running countries, Mary seemed scary and dangerous. In the case of both of the stories about the two different Mary Worths, these could relate to the long history of accusing women of being witches if they don't follow society's expectations. If a woman lived alone with no husband or children, it used to be automatically assumed that there was something wrong with her. If she had knowledge of plants or herbs that could make medicines, for example, she may be accused of being a witch, even if she was only trying to help people. Although we would like to think that something like the Salem Witch Trials couldn't happen today, because we don't think that way anymore, we can all think of examples of people who are labeled as different, being feared, or treated cruelly, even when they aren't dangerous at all. It seems that for all the Marys, there is a special significance to being female that makes them dangerous. Why are women without children viewed as potentially threatening? In the way that myths sometimes enable us to look at a certain aspect of human society, 
maybe the Bloody Mary myth is a way for us to contemplate the particular fear associated with womanhood. Even if on the surface, Bloody Mary is just a scary story, if we dig deeper, there is something for all of us to question in ourselves. Now let's take a look at the different parts of the Bloody Mary ritual. What do we need to call her? How do we do it? And what are some possible reasons why people have seen, or think they have seen, a woman appear in their bathroom mirror? I've heard a lot of people say that they tried Bloody Mary for the first time at a sleepover. That makes sense, right? Sleepovers can be a time where we challenge our friends' fears. But there's also safety in numbers. Like at my sleepover, when I decided to stand guard in case something happened. So let's say we gather our group of friends at a sleepover. What's the next step? Some people say you have to go into the bathroom with a candle or a flashlight. Some people say it has to be pitch black. What could be the significance of the single light source? Candles and flashlights often have associations with rituals of all kinds, from prayer in many different religions to celebrations or gathering to tell stories. There's something significant for human beings about gathering together in low light and sharing an experience with each other. It doesn't even need to be scary. Sitting in a dark movie theater, waiting for it to start. Or gathering around a campfire in the summer. Or lighting the candles on a birthday cake and singing. All of these rituals depend on the contrast between darkness and light. It seems to be something that we humans are drawn to. Bathrooms play a role in other myths and superstitions that you may know about. Have you ever heard of Hanako-san or Akamanto? Both are stories that originated in Japan and involve ghosts that haunt the girls' bathroom. If you're curious about other bathroom superstitions, we'll talk more about them in a future episode. But for now, can you think of anything that most bathrooms have in common? And no, I'm not talking about a toilet. Mirrors. It seems the most important element in the Bloody Mary superstition is the mirror. Many of us use mirrors every day, so how did they become a symbol for paranormal or supernatural stories? The mirror as we know it today, with a silver glass surface, wasn't invented until 1835. But before that, as far back as 600 BC, people have been using the polished surfaces of different natural materials as mirrors. Since these early beginnings, people have associated mirrors with magic or superstition or divinity. Many of our ancestors would not have seen as many mirrors as we do on a daily basis. So seeing your own reflection in another surface could have been perceived as a magical occurrence. Stories of being able to tell the future through a mirror appear as far back as in the Bible in the first century AD, and in the writing of Geoffrey Chaucer in the late 1300s, and William Shakespeare in the late 1500s. Robert Burns, a Scottish poet, wrote in 1787 that if you stand in front of a mirror while holding a candlestick and eating an apple, a spirit will appear. There are so many examples going way back, but can you think of a story that uses a magical mirror that remains popular today? One of my favorites that comes to mind is the mirror of Erised in Harry Potter. The mirror is magical in that it reflects a person's deepest desires back to them. So Harry sees both of his parents standing next to him, even though they're dead. The trouble is that if you look at a mirror and see yourself, say, as a super famous soccer player, or standing next to your lost family, you might just stay there and live in a fantasy instead of out in the real world. A magic mirror also had power over the evil queen from Snow White whose vanity turned out to be her biggest downfall. The Evil Queen is a more well-known example of a popular belief about mirrors, that if you weren't careful, you could become obsessed with your own reflection. 
A book of folklore published in 1883 warned that there was a certain girl who was very vain and fond of standing before the looking glass, admiring herself. And one night, as she stood gazing, all of her ringlets were covered with dripping sulfur, and the devil appeared peeping over her shoulder. Fictional representations of magic mirrors come out of a long history of real-world superstitions. Ever since the 18th century, mirrors have played a role in death and mourning traditions and cultures all over the world. For example, in China, after a death, mirrors are removed from sight. The belief is that if one were to see their reflection, a death would happen in their family soon. In Jewish culture, after someone dies, the family does something called sit shiva, where those mourning stay together in the home of the bereaved for seven days. During this time, all of the mirrors are covered to prevent vanity from distracting from the mourning. Some also believe that an uncovered mirror was an open invitation for ghostly apparitions to appear. So, why is it that so many people around the world believe that they have seen spirits or monsters in the mirror? Scientifically, it can be possibly explained by something called the Troxler effect. The Troxler effect can happen when a person stares at a reflective surface in a dimly lit room, causing them to experience visual distortion and hallucination. In a perception study, researchers found that people who were instructed to stare into a mirror in a dimly lit room saw many frightening things, including severe distortions of their own face, the face of one of their parents, an unknown person, or fantastical beings. Sounds pretty scary, right? It doesn't have to be. The Troxler effect happens pretty much just because our brains get bored. So, there you have it. A little bit more about this scary game that seems to pop up everywhere. Now that you know some of the reasons people may have invented Bloody Mary in the first place, does it make you believe in the legend more or less? Do you think it's totally impossible, or do you think that if you head into your bathroom with a flashlight and say her name three times, she'll appear? Well, there's only one way to find out. Thanks for listening to Unspookable. I'm your host, Elise Parisian. This episode was written by Eleanor Riley Condit with myself and Nate Dufort. Produced and edited by Nate Dufort. Our theme song and additional music composed by Jesse Case. And our logo was created by Natalie Kewen. Special thanks this week to guests Bella and Blythe. We have big things planned for this season. So if you want to know the stories behind Ouija boards, the Charlie Charlie game, and more, make sure you subscribe to Unspookable on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And it would help us out a lot if you could leave a rating and review. Unspookable is part of the Soundsington Audio Network, committed to making quality programming for young audiences and the young at heart. For more information on our shows and the people behind them, go to www.soundsingtonmedia.com. Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? We sure have. That's why we launched the Bites of Health podcast. Every morning, we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, streaming now.